Howdy. Hello. Already, already profanity and inappropriate content for young audiences, but welcome to the fight site. Uh, another prediction panel. This one is for UFC 259, I believe the card is titled. Off to a good start. And uh, we're going to be focusing on two fights here. We're going to be breaking down Aljamain Sterling versus Peter Yan. I'm going to say Peter. I don't care if you want to correct me. And uh, also Israel Adesanya versus Jan Blahovic. And uh, yeah, the format of these is pretty unique. Basically, every panelist is going to get a chance to break down both fighters and the matchup, uh, taking turns to talk so we can all get our, our analysis in so you can hear a few different perspectives. And uh, we might get some uh, addressing of other points. It, it ends up being a little different than we start out with the format, but keeps us all, all in check and, and helps it stay organized. Um, but yeah, I have with me uh, my colleagues from the fight site and Dan Tom, who's like an honorary member of the fight site, but we can't afford him. Uh, <laughs> but he writes for MMA Junkie and uh, does a lot of other stuff uh, involving uh, gambling and betting. So if you're a degenerate like that, highly recommend following Dan Tom for that alone, you know, regardless of the rest of the great stuff he does. Um, and I'm not going to let them go around and introduce themselves because I don't trust them. Um, you know, they're, they're just reckless, wild people. Um, but yeah, so we're going to go one fight at a time. We're going to start with the Bantamweight title fight between Peter Yan and Aljamain Sterling. Uh, both guys are on great win streaks. This is probably one of the best fights the UFC could possibly make. And these are two fighters that I think a lot of us have, have studied in, in decent depth. So uh, I think we're going to have a lot to say here. And uh, I think I'll go last. I think I'll go last. So <laughs> I don't feel like talking anymore. Uh, so the order is going to be Ben, Dan, Sriram, and then myself. The format is we're all going to go around and talk about Peter Yan as a fighter, just giving our evaluation of his strengths and weaknesses and not discussing the matchup. Ben, he screwed this up before, speaking directly to him right now. Um, so round one, we're all going to talk about Peter Yan. Uh, then it's going to be like snake draft format. Whoever went last is going to start with Sterling. We're going to go back around and talk about Sterling. And then same deal. And then we're going to talk about the matchup and do our predictions. Uh, as the third so three rounds of speaking for each fight and we're going to start with Jan Sterling so Ben you're going to kick us off giving us your breakdown of, of Peter Jan whatever you want to say about him to start off hey so uh <laughs> Ben was trying to record with wireless earbuds and the connection was messing up so his whole piece about uh Peter Jan basically unusable uh the audio was just too messed up so we're cutting this part but, you know, it wasn't that good anyway, and uh, Ben sucks. So moving on to the next person, and uh, don't worry, Ben will have his chance to, to get some good analysis in. Thank you. All right. Uh, I like the words uh, build you used uh, for his overall pace. I'm not going to get too much into the striking as far as Eon. Obviously, uh, he does switch stances, and the only note I'll really say on that Speaking in themes is that Jan's a fighter that's not going to be surprised often. We saw, uh, I think you mentioned Jimmy Rivera as far as past opponent, and we saw him, uh, you know, this past weekend uh, get his leg, uh, you know, kind of his calf kicked, and he was very surprised by it. And that's something you never want to see, especially from fighters at the higher levels, to be surprised by anything. And I think that's one of Jan's best attributes is very little surprises him, even when – it's Jose freaking out though, fighting, you know, uh, kind of dusting off some old school tactics and whatnot. He's still, even when he wasn't doing as well as some of us thought, and I'm definitely going to be looking into that kick defense that Ben noted on when you look at 
you know, uh, the matchup we'll talk further at hand. But yeah, uh, I like that he can a not be surprised and b have those options to switch stances to where okay, you're targeting this. Let's see if you tar- can target it as easily with this look. And he's very calm about himself. Um, as far as the clinch goes, I, what I really like and how I kind of write his grappling up is that he turns defense into offense. Uh, you know, so when he is successfully defending from the clinch, uh, he will turn, you know, he will turn a def- uh, his defense into offense. Or if he's on the ground, he's on his back, he will turn offense into defense as far as, attacking from the guard, using that to sweep, attacking legs to create scrambles to get on top. Um, and he's re- got a very good, uh, set, you know, he'll, he'll play in the fire, but but he's really good about playing in the fire. And I'm sure that'll come up uh, as far as those ranges go, how it, you know, pertains to this matchup. But what I will say is I really just like how, whether he's doing the old school Fedor techniques of using a trip to create a scramble and then having offense off of that, so he's countering grappling with more grappling to open up more offense. Again, turning defense into offense again or on the ground. Uh, he does do things really well, um, even though he will, uh, you know, all scramblers kind of inherently have to tripod and turtle. So no matter what feelings are on that move, it's something and a position you just have to navigate if you're a scrambler, especially in the lower divisions. I really like how Jan kind of swims his arms. He has a good sense of where the position is. Just seems really well-trained. I'm really curious to see, and I'm definitely going to touch more on this when we come back around for predictions, but I'm curious to see what is behind and what can be expected from his move to American top team uh, where he did this camp. He looks like he's been there all of 2021 um, and how that affects his game going into the matchup. Obviously it's the, you know, there's, there's, you know, a lot of uh, Brazilians and Russians that cross train over there as far as tactics or techniques, obviously the calf kick gets synonymous with them. Um, it's definitely not a place. It's definitely a place where you're at the very least going to get better, some better wrestling via osmosis. Even guys who aren't known for their wrestling tend to have, or that, that, are, that are underrated wrestlers uh, have, you know, come or trained from that camp, you know? So, you know, we'll see there. It's not like it's a, it's a, it's a glaring weakness. Stylistically, it, it may match up, which we'll talk about later, but that is my big um, X factor looking into this again. I'm uh, full disclosure. Uh, I'm not going to have a, the hardest of take. Cause I'm still, I'm still uh, balls deep, if you will, in these matchups as far as doing my own studies, but yeah, I'm real curious of what that intangible looks like with American top team. Yeah, I mean, Ben and Dan covered most of the stuff that I would say. Peter Yan is a uh, a fundamentally brilliant pressure fighter. He's very good at drawing the reactions out of his opponents in terms of ring craft. So that's one thing that we saw in the Jimmy Rivera fight where uh, Rivera was making his exits off that right hand and he cut him off with the left hook. That's kind of Yan's process in a nutshell. Um, He's very good at range in terms of, uh, well, obviously wants to be in the pocket, but he's very good at uh, converting his defense. He's... um, collar ties and the long guard that he does to grab the collar tie uh, flows very well in terms of continuing his offense uh, and entering the range that he wants to be in. Uh, he works off the jab pretty well. He has a really nasty straight to the body. That's one quirk about him where he just like really sits down on it. And it's, it's very mean. It's one of the best things about him uh, just from an aesthetic perspective and what I like seeing. Um, what else? What else? Uh, in the clinch, uh, I think, his incredibly diligent wrist control is probably what makes the difference. 
Uh, it's something that we'll touch on when we get to Aljo, but it's really hard for Yan opponents to uh, gain any sort of foothold because he's so diligent about uh, grabbing the wrist and hitting off it, or just even he can use it to uh, suss out his opponent's reactions. One of my favorite sequences from the uh, Faber fight was when he had the wrist and I believe an underhook, and uh, Faber was trying to hit on the break, and Yan counterpunched him from in there because he had such a great beat on what Faber was doing off that wrist control. So. Yen is uh, absolutely brilliant in the clinch. On the ground, uh, we haven't seen a ton of him from the bottom. We saw a little bit against Jin Su-san, but it's worth noting that uh, Yen's still pretty early in his career. There's still some improvements that he could make pretty much everywhere. Um, but, you know, Jin Su-san is also big and immortal, so it's really tough to blame him for that. Uh, there, he kind of played guard and didn't really scramble as actively, but against Rivera, he was very active. At, he pulled a leg lock and then uh, scrambled back up off that. There was this, at the end, I believe Ed's probably going to elaborate on it a little bit more. He, he hit a limp arm uh, from, I believe, a single leg and got to the back, which was really slick. Uh, he's making improvements, and he has some nice moves. Uh, on top, he destroyed Jose Aldo and Douglas Silva de Andrade, which is uh, pretty impressive, although Aldo was pretty much done by then. Um, I mean, it's actually tough to come up with things that are like, this is really dazzling about Peter Young, which is why I think people have like really honed in on his competition being somewhat weak for a bantamweight champion. Um Jose Aldo's a fantastic win, but also at Bantamweight, it's like kind of a strategic, easy fight for someone who throws a lot of volume and is super durable over five rounds. Uh, tactically, it was really difficult, and I think that's where we saw uh, Peter Yan's mind at work. For instance, when Aldo was going to the left hook to the body, he was catching pitching with the left hook of, uh, to the head, he was drowning him in the clinch, and the pressure took away the kicks. But there are there's a lot less flash to his game. He's, it's a very Russian game, if that makes sense. And... Um, I think that's kind of tricking people. And we're going to see against Aljo whether it holds up against someone who's a lot more janky. Uh, Ed, what's your read? Yeah, I mean, I've been I've been very high on Jan since before his UFC debut. A lot of people were because, uh, largely because of what he did in ACB. Uh, mostly his, uh, his first title fight with Magomed Magomedov uh, for the title. That was his like sixth pro fight, something like that. It was like two or three years into his career. Uh, Magomedov, you know, control-based grappler, uh, you know, very wrestling-heavy approach. And uh, Jan was, you know, more or less a pure striker at that point who knew things about wrestling and grappling, and they just had an absolute war. And, uh, you know, Jan, Jan made some mistakes defensively as a grappler, and he wasn't fully flush, fleshed out, but he was, like, giving him hell off his back and, uh, you know, knew how to, you know, change the momentum, pressure him in a way that made it harder for Magomedov to wrestle, and, and it just made it the toughest fight as humanly possible. And I believe there was a point deduction that changed the way the fight would have been scored. And he actually had an argument for winning it, uh, which was insanely impressive at the time. And then like two fights later, they have a rematch and Jan just <laughs> absolutely puts on like the perfect performance for that opponent worth mentioning that Magomedov uh, in that fight looked totally different as well. Um, like completely transformed himself on the feet and interestingly enough, and I didn't notice this the first time, and I think I didn't notice it because the Aldo fight hadn't happened yet, but when I recently went back and watched Magomedov 2, uh, it was a very similar performance from Magomedov to, to what Aldo was doing with the open stance body kicking um, and the way he was trying to, uh, to counter Jan and, and uh, you know, deal with his pressure. And, you know, it makes me think that Aldo either it was just a common read because of the way they analyzed his uh, his style, or maybe he watched the fight and was like, I can do that. Uh, <laughs> and came out you know, much more kick heavy than the normal. But as Ben said uh, early on, you know, a few opponents picked up on that. Like this guy is, you know, coming on heavy and he has to put a lot of weight in his lead leg because of 
the way he is so intentional with this pressure that makes him more kickable. Um, and, you know, just built in things about his game that make it harder to kick. But yeah, I noticed him early on, you know, because of that fight being amazing, obviously. But then once you start to watch his catalog, you know, through ACB, you realize that he's a very consistent fighter. Um, his game is pretty well defined. It's pressure. <laughs> he, he's, you know, one of the most committed pressure fighters in the sport. Uh, and he has the tools to, to make that work. He has the attributes to make that work. And he's been flushing out the rest of his skills ever since then. Um, and that's, I think that's what makes him pretty special is that, you know, he's definitely a standout uh, when it comes to his pressure fighting tactics and the way he boxes and, uh, you know, the way he can mix up level changes and feints and, uh, you know, striking round to cut off exits. And plus his kicking game, which people don't talk about very often either. Um, but the thing that, the two things that really stand out to me are, one, that he's a five-round fighter. Um, he's someone that builds over time and, and gains momentum and has the cardio to, to weaponize that and make that work. Um, picking up the rhythm uh, of his attack and increasing volume as, as a product of rhythm, uh, more so than you know fighters who try to maintain a similar pace and break you over time. Uh, Jan eases into the fight, waits to make his reads and starts to build up that pressure and, and, you know, freak people out over time. Like if you even watch the Rivera fight, you can see it happening in small instances. It's not like a, a slow roll over time. Like he has these moments where the pressure starts to build and the rhythm starts to pick up and the pressure gets heavier and the faints, you know, build up. And that's when Rivera starts to make those mistakes and, and opens himself up. That's something really special that he can do. Um, a little bit, I, I don't, I'm not just saying because he's Russian, a little bit reminds me of Khabib with the, uh, the psychological aspect of the pressure, um, how just like the intimidation factor of him picking up the pressure can really affect people. Uh, I think that's something you can't write off. Um, when we get to the matchup portion, I might mention that a little bit as well. Uh, but yeah, so that, that whole, the pace factor uh, definitely, definitely is one of my favorite things about him. You know, he's really built to thrive over championship rounds. And the other thing is his transitional work. And the reason I really love him as a pressure fighter is because he's one of the best clinch fighters in MMA. Um, it's not something that's going to stand out to everyone, I don't think, because he's not like getting long periods of control in the clinch like Usman. He's not like deading people consistently from the clinch, although he like had the clinch break offense against Faber, which really stood out to people and started to make them realize it a little bit more. It's mostly just the transitional work. He's just very solid in clinch positions. He really understands uh, the leverage and the footwork of those positions. And he uses it to continue to pressure. So a lot of the time, guys can be put off pressure when they're fighting a grappler uh, or someone they don't want to be engaged with in certain ranges because if I'm pushing forward and they come back hard at me, I either need to concede space or, or get off at an angle or we're going to collide and I don't want to be there. He's fine with that. He's really good at getting his frames up, uh, you know, posting off in the bicep or turning them off or pulling and turning them off. Uh, and, and, you know, just using those, those clinch tools really well to redirect people or, uh, you know, give them, get that little bit of space back and strike them off to back them up again and continue his pressure. Um, that's something you saw a lot more in the Magomedov rematch and the points in the first fight when he started to figure out how to pressure without being grappled uh, as much. And uh, the grappling is very interesting to me, the wrestling and the grappling. Like you said, his top game has developed a lot. Um, his bottom game was pretty active and dangerous, even that first Megamedov fight. But that's that's like the weirdest thing about him is that, like Ben said, there's the Jinsu Sun fight where he got taken down. There's like the Dodson fight where he got taken down. There's like 
there's been fights where he's like throwing himself out of position and ended up grappling with people in weird and weird positions and weird ways. And we're like, why is this happening? Um, but I still, you got Dan, uh, you still have to think about the time when he fought basically the only dedicated grappler of his entire career and came in with such a good game plan and knew exactly how to deal with him. And it just so happens there are actually a lot of similarities between that guy and Aljamain Sterling. So it's going to be a pretty nice analog despite it being you know, what, five years ago, something like that, four years ago. Um, but yeah, I, I really love Yan. I think he, uh, he has a lot of potential to go really far in MMA as long as the attributes hold up. Um, I don't think he's like a freak athlete or anything. I just think the durability and uh, the pace are very, very important for his game. So yeah, there's a lot I like about him. There's a lot I like about Aljamain Sterling too. And uh, just to give Dan Tom a little bit of time, uh, I'm just going to roll into my Aljamain Sterling piece and then Ben, you can, you can go next. Um, I did write an article about Aljamain Sterling. I focused on the way he, uh, he gets to his takedowns, the way he gets to his shots, his entries. Um, he's huge for 135, and he, uh, he, he does a really good job finishing his shots against the cage. But earlier in his career, I saw him stall out a bunch of times, hitting these full level changes to the knee on single legs and open space and trying to finish that way. And that's something that always troubles me because most of the time when I see that, it's because guys took shots from too far away or didn't set them up well. So I wanted to take a look at like, how is he setting up these shots? And the truth is he was actually setting them up very well. He had a really nice feel for wrestling early in his career. Um, both reactively and on the lead. Um, but the problem was on the lead, a lot of the time it was him moving people back and then shooting off that motion of his combinations. And when you have someone kind of retreating from you and you shoot to their leg, uh, a lot of the time you're catching you know, lower on the ankle and you have to extend yourself like that and hit the ground. Like if you look at like Habib versus Ally Aquinta, that's a good example of just like inopportune, like not, not ideal shot opportunities, um, making it harder to get to your finishes and like, you saw Sterling not able to finish on like Takei Mizugaki and people who are much worse wrestlers than him. But then when he had these really nice clean entries where like he's intercepting pressure and he's like punching into the, the clinch or like an underhook or, um, you know, kicking into level changes, things like that. When he, he has people planted and swinging on him, that's when he's been able to do really well. Um, and that's something that persisted throughout his career, but his style really shifted in a couple of key fights. Um, as a wrestler. Uh, I mean, obviously his grappling is great. I'm not going to knock his grappling at all, but you know, as a top player, it's very important, you know, how your wrestling functions and how you're going to get to those positions. Um, so the first time, first couple times we saw him really do this well, were uh, the Henan Burrell and Cody Stamen fights. And it was because of his pressure. It was because of his ring craft. Um, he was able to pressure his opponents to the cage and, you know, a lot of it was just like volume and faint based and his opponents didn't have amazing ring craft, but it was intentional and he was doing it. And like we said, a lot of ring craft in MMA is about, you know, imposition. It's <laughs> just like trying and doing it and not being scared off and having, you know, something to threaten with to get people to back off. Um, being active with his lead hand, round kicking to cut off exits, front kicking to back them up. Um, a lot of fainting, a lot of level changing, uh, a lot of clinching and breaking from the clinching coming up and down and in and out of the clinch. It's what people like think that Colby Covington does really well. Um, but he was actually doing it well against decent defensive wrestlers and doing something with the positions and wrestling well. Um, but yeah, you saw that in the Burrell fight and Burrell, I think had never been taken down 
I don't know, like in his career or just MMA or just the UFC at all. Um, but he was like the first one to really take down Barrow and out grapple him. And he did it on the cage, you know, and in all those transitions, uh, the Cody Stamen fight was a little weird because one of the times it was like they kicked at the same time and Stamen fell. Um, <laughs> but for the most part, it was because he was, you know, pressuring him to the fence with his jab and, you know, mixing up levels and fainting and drawing out reactions. So he could get a clean shot at the legs. And when you have long arms like that, uh, doubles on the cage are a lot easier. And uh, finally, we saw in the Corey Sandhagen fight, immediately pressured to the cage, got him kicking, uh, shot a single up into an underhook, and then uh, did a nice uh, job of like pulling the wrist across while punching the underhook, uh, which was supposed to put his back on the mat. But then Corey Sandhagen bailed on it and gave up his back, and that wasn't good either. And that's not the first person we've seen give up their back to try to scramble with Aljamain Sterling. Uh, Brett Johns did it as well. Ben says Damon didn't fall. I just watched the clip before we started. Um, but uh, yeah, so those, those are the things I noticed about Sterling's wrestling when it's more effective, when, when it's less effective. Uh, the least effective it is, is reactively. Um, not, didn't turn into a particularly good reactive shooter. And I think it's a lot about being tall for the weight class. Makes it really hard to get a deep level change. Like I talked about the difference between him shooting all the way to the knee and him shooting higher on the legs and, and closer to the hips. Um, he doesn't have particularly good footwork on his doubles reactively. So I think that's part of why, like he can't run it, uh, to finish when it's reactive and he doesn't have like the positioning to set himself up for it. Uh, so you saw like against Pedro Munoz, who it wasn't that important for him to take down Munoz, but I think he had mostly shooting just to relieve the pressure. Um, but again, he was shooting into Munoz's hips and had a hard time uh, moving him around or getting anything off that. And uh, Jimmy Rivera, he had some issues wrestling him as well, but he did get all that cage control. And again, these are two people he beat. So it's not that big of a deal. But just, you know, when you're looking at where his strengths are as a wrestler, um, definitely when he's able to pressure people and get to the cage or when he's able to get them to plant and set them up and and get them to swing and time their counters. Um, Next time I speak, I'll, I'll decide if that how that matches up with Peter Jan. But Ben is like ready to jump down my throat about something. Uh, <laughs> you can go ahead and talk about Aljamain Sterling then. No, no, that's my bad. I was I was actually thinking of um, the Corey Sandhagen fight because that's actually how he got the takedown. He, he uh, or entered the clinch exchange was he caught a kick and they kicked at the same time. Corey kicked at his body and he kicked yeah. at, um, at Corey's leg. That was, yeah. that was the key. Stamen definitely was fell bad. over. You're right. Um, Although he did get a nice takedown on uh, uh, entries on Cody anyway. Uh, so, yeah, it's, it's uh, Aljamain Sterling. So uh, as a uh, prof- uh, someone who practices the fake martial art of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, I tend to gravitate towards grapplers. Uh, I, I like that to pretend that our martial art works. So when I see it being employed, it, it's a really good feeling. Uh, much like that fake martial art of kickboxing, um, where she, you know, uh, Jan Blachowicz is going to show us why kickboxing is not real. God, please let it happen. It'll be really goddamn funny. Um, so, uh, but Aljamain Sterling. So the, the progression we've seen throughout his career is, and I think this is something that happens a lot with fighters in general who start their UFC careers really, really, really early. And I think we saw it a little bit with Corey Sandhagen, and we're going to see it again with we saw it with Aljamain Sterling too. Uh, Aljo came in really early in his career, and now he's actually been a veteran in the UFC for six years. Not six years as a pro, six years in the UFC. He has had 14 fights, I believe. He's fought in one of the toughest divisions or deepest divisions in sport. Arguably, it's the most skillful division at the top. Um, I would personally argue that that is the best top five in the sport. Um, 
So we're talking about a weight class that is not forgiving to you. Uh, if you if you get knocked out, it's not forgiving. If you get submitted, it's, it, you drop down really fast. You get your stock drops. Um, you're going to be a, fighting people who are really really good in the middle of the of the rankings, and you're just not going to move up or down if you're losing those fights. So we did see a real progression of stages of Aljamain's career, how he handled those different bits of adversity, the improvements he's made on the feet and on the ground and in his wrestling and his clinch. So I think that the, the Aljamain's journey we have now uh, is can be summed up as somebody who's absolutely 100% a defined outfighter. He doesn't want to fight in the, in the pocket. And if he can avoid it, he is somebody who wants to be all the way out or all the way in at all times. Um, when he's on the outside, he really utilizes his, significant size advantage that he has over virtually every single fighter in that division. He is a massive bantamweight. I have no idea how he makes that weight. He's already on the wrong side of 30. So I don't know how much longer he can keep making it. I know even earlier in his career, he was talking about moving up to 45. Um, and from insider information, I know how much he's cutting. Uh, so uh, he is somebody that loves to throw tons of volume, both with his punches and particularly with his kicks. He has a really, really nice um, uh, variety of kicks that he throws. He throws both round kicks and straight kicks up the middle, and he uses them extremely well to back his opponents up when he wants to be able to pressure them or keep them off of him when he's being pressured backwards. We saw them utilized to great effect against Pedro Munoz. Uh, he ate a fair share of kicks himself. However, uh, he doesn't mind being able to kick because if you try to he doesn't really, he's, he's one of those grapplers who knows that you're not going to want to grab his leg because if you try and take him down, that means he gets to engage in a grappling exchange with you. You don't want to scramble with him and we'll get to that in a moment. So uh, his main issues on the feet, um, he is kind of janky. There's no question. It's not the smoothest head movement. It's not the smoothest punching mechanics. It's not the smoothest kicking mechanics. I would say his kicking mechanics are a lot better than his punching mechanics, but uh, it works. It's, it's really, really well put together for what it is. His head movement and his, and his defensive uh, reactions uh, fit very well into him constantly searching for those clinch and takedown entries. And if his opponents are too close and he, they're trying to swing wildly at him, he's going to be able to get those those intercepting uh, clinch clinch entries. Um, against Pedro Munoz, we saw him use that more as just a way of uh, of kind of stopping the exchange from happening when Pedro was trying to overwhelm him. And he did do that really, really well. I don't think, and I think people are going to point out to this um, when they're talking about the actual matchup themselves. So I think it's important to note against Pedro Munoz. I don't think he really was interested in going to the ground with Munoz. Uh, in fact, the one time that Pedro really tried to aggressively get him to the ground, Aljamain really didn't want a part of it. Not because I don't think he was confident, but I think he felt confident that he could beat him on the feet. So he didn't want to risk, you know, being on the ground with him. He has been outgrappled before, granted much earlier in his career by Brian Caraway, but it's still probably something he's like, why engage with Pedro on the ground? There's no point. I don't think, I can't think of anybody who's really beaten Pedro there off the top of my head. Please feel free to correct me right now if I'm wrong. Uh, so there, uh, Aljo's clinch entries and his back takes. He has the best back taking game in the sport today. It is the single most dangerous uh, position you want to be in against Aljamain. He, his length and his strength and his technical abilities in that particular position are in ridiculously elite. Um, I would say that he's honestly a more dangerous person to have on your back than someone like Damian Maya due to his athletic advantage. And I mean that because we're talking about an MMA context. 
He's a far more dangerous ground and pounder than, uh, than Damian Maya, which opens up the opponents he's going to be hitting, uh, grappling with. And Damian just, quite frankly, if you go watch the Gunnar Nelson fight, if he had even a modicum of ground and pound ability, Gunnar Nelson would be dead. Um, there would be an obituary. His, his shorts would have been hung up in the arena. He should be dead. The amount of punches he took cleanly to the head. And in fact, Gunnar Nelson was totally fine and his chin was fine. So I think that in, in certain ways, I'm going to get flamed for that one. I can't wait. Uh, I think that when you're talking about danger, encompass everything. Yes, Damien Maia is better at purely jujitsu, but in terms of MMA grappling, once they're there on the back, Maya might ride you for three rounds. Aljo's not going to ride you for three rounds. He's going to fuck you up for, for as long as it takes before he can submit you. So uh, his when he's in those uh, back take positions, specifically against the fence, his ability to control you, uh, his, his positioning both with his legs, his hips, and his uh, grips are, 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 are perfect in every sense. This Corey Hans Sanhagen sequence in particular was so beautiful because he was controlling the far side wrist, um, forced uh, and, and had that deep, deep underhook, forced Corey to try and post in order to be able to escape. Corey had to give up the overhook, which opened him up to get to the back. He threw his leg over to the other side, pinned it against Corey, uh, Corey's hip, and was leaning on him. So that opened up Corey's left side just ever so slightly so he could easily slide that first hook in and then came back around and got that second hook. All while continuing to hold that far side wrist, which was a key part of it because he was using it as an anchor point. So that's how fucking good Aljo is, is my point. Uh, on the ground itself, he's just, he's pretty much up there with the elite guys. His passing game is really, 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 um, uh, high level. He likes to keep a lot of pressure as he passes. Um, and his length actually really helps with that because when you have a guy who can exert that much pressure and is also going to have that length, it's going to be really hard to reestablish hooks and, and, and recover position. He's an excellent scrambler himself. And that's something that's going to be really troubling for Peter Jan, because when you're a guy who gets out of bad spots in, in MMA with that, I think I'm skipping to the, to the fight. Am I good? So move. Okay. So yeah, Aljo as a fighter, he's an outfighter to summarize. He's an outfighter who's seriously volume heavy and on the ground. He's someone who's going to look to find those spots to, he won't necessarily need those scrambles because he's an excellent control oriented grappler. But if you're somebody who's going to be looking to scramble out, he's going to be able to find those positions to, uh, at, uh, to take your back basically from anywhere. He can take it off the takedown attempts. He can take it off the clinch. He can take it on the ground itself. He's just that damn good. Also, you might get a full Nelson. So that's something that's you're not really going to see. And I really enjoyed that. Anyway, go ahead. Nice. I, uh, yeah, I'm not going to talk too much again about the, the striking because uh, I feel like I got to refresh myself on that. I, I had an older take on Aljo, like, you know, it's a suspect of his boxing range, right? Like a lot of these all the way in or all the way out style fighters. And then he shows a little bit better trunk movement and attaching things and making that trunk movement a bit more functional with what he comes back with. Um, and as far as the wrestling goes, um, I don't disagree with anything on Ed's notes previously. Uh, and I don't know how much uh, a wrist would trouble with his entry, cho entry choice, which was a great point that Ed made. But I do remember, and I wrote this in my notes prior to the Sanhagen fight that Aljo was talking about a wrist injury that was plaguing him 
specifically his wrestling and finishing shots, according to him, that is, um, that he got finally addressed before that Sanhagen fight. I don't know how much that would imply or go with anything that like Ed or anyone else uh, watching or listening to this uh, has come across in their, you know, proverbial findings. Uh, but it is worth taking into note. And I like how Ben broke down that back taking sequence to kind of demonstrate how good he is from there. I remember uh, saying that in defense of Sanhagen, uh, you know, you know, uh, after that Al Jermaine Sterling fight is that, you know, don't write him off that easily. Like the, the, the setup and the way it went in, you know, um, ha, you know, the, the, how he tied in the choking arm and blended it naturally to the wrist control hand, like all those little things, it was, it was super slick. Um, so I, I agree uh, as bold as it is, uh, you know, what Ben said about his back control. I agree. He's, he's, he's one of the best, you know, and it, regardless of division and his build and his squeeze, um, a big thing is that he's really uh, saving grace from the takedowns and perhaps in this fight is that uh, he counters kicks a lot. Um, it was something I noted in the Sanhagen fight because they both counter kicks, obviously in different ways. Sanhagen's not looking to get takedowns from it, um, but he's looking to, uh, you know, do it from the striking theme and the striking theme. Uh, and obviously I think the counter and kicks will apply here. Right. Uh, however, the striking theme, I will say, um, it, where it ties in the parallels here, I think, is the wrist control. Because even though we talked about Jan's wrist control, uh, his is more from a striking from, you know, Dutch hand traps, closing the distance to clinch striking and clinch controls and clinch tactics. Where as Aljamain, it starts from clinch, but more clinch grappling, shot defense, um, and down to the grappling of the floor as far as the benefits of wrist control, right? hard to take down pass or submit someone. If you have one hand, I think Aljamain made a post like a couple of years ago. I remember going through his Instagram as I do before these fights and he's defending a shot in wrestling practice. And he says a quote, he says, when in doubt, grab a wrist. And I love it because it's something that I preach to the freaking high heavens for the last decade. And finally, finally the, the, the pro fighters that are actually making their money doing this shit are starting to do it, which is nice. Nice to see. Um, Aljamain's definitely one of those. So uh, I think the countering of the kicks, if anything, is the more most important note on the feet that I can offer you guys right now at this time uh, as, as relevant to this match. And I'll, I'll explain why in the next segment. Um, but, yeah, I completely agree with what Ben said about the back taking uh, and him being a just a, a real, real dominant factor there. I know he's been coaching a lot of wrestling in this in-between time, splitting camp time at Extreme Couture. That's, I guess, his intangible. But whether he's at Extreme Couture back in Long Island, the guy's in the practice room with the pros, helping pros and uh, teaching wrestling practices, which I always think is a really good thing, you know, uh, for fighters to sharpen up, keep sharp their base in general and kind of have those reps. Teaching makes you a better practitioner. So real curious to see what this uh, expansion for Aljo looks like. And he wrestled uh, Roman Bravo Young at a, at a pro event and, and did pretty well. Yeah, I heard about that. Uh, I don't. Bravo Young won pretty wide, right? Or was it super competitive? I heard no, uh, Aljo actually threw him on the edge and and, and got four and uh, you know got scored on a few times, but only lost by like one or two uh, because of it. But there's also a big size advantage, and you know Aljo gamed it a little bit, but it was still he he scored big on you know a really good college wrestler and someone who's starting to be a really good senior level wrestler. So uh, and everyone was trashing Aljo before the match because he posted a couple training clips that looked bad. Um, and the wrestling community is like, what is this? Like, are you getting? And then he had actually, you know, had a good match for himself. So, uh, yeah, he, 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 he did well there. 
Yeah, I remember there was something notable about it. I just don't remember if it went exactly as how it's supposed to, or it, you know, kind of changed it. Um, nothing to add on the wrestling. Uh, Ed and Ben covered it pretty well. Um, long story short, he's just really nasty to have on your back. The full Nelson against Cody Stamen was actually really nice. I wish he got it because the the solo stretch was nice, but also kind of ruined by Zabit doing it after. So um, the the full Nelson would have been something more unique. Although Zabit might have just stolen it again. Um, on his striking, I think the details of his striking hasn't really been gone into that much depth. Uh, we mostly saw it against Pedro Munoz. Because um, against Jimmy Rivera, there was a lot of outside striking, and we saw how Alto could really frustrate a fighter with a very defined close range. Uh, as Ben mentioned, it was the all the way in, all the way out, where Rivera wants to be in the pocket, and Alto just kind of frustrated him with his distancing, where he would uh, play this really janky, weird kicking game, and then every time Rivera tried to do anything, he just ran in and clinched him against the fence. Uh, which is incredibly frustrating to watch for someone who wanted Rivera to win that fight. But, you know, we don't hold grudges, but we definitely do. Um, I think in the Munoz fight, we saw good and bad um, Alja. It looked like a fight that Alja would really struggle in over five rounds because of the attritional work of Pedro Munoz, which bears uh, decent relevance to a fight against Peter Yan. Um, Aljo, he's not prote- he's not particularly tight as a striker in any phase, but he's pretty crafty. Uh, we saw uh, some decent direction changes against a kind of plotting weird pressure against Pedro Munoz, uh, where uh, Aljo was able to get him stepping one way and move the other, walk him onto the jab. That's how he won the third round, jabbing from both stances and the counter hook. Um, and again, the weird kicking game. Aljo's not very good in the pocket, like in terms of just even pocket exchanges, but he can walk guys into stuff decently with his ring craft. And we actually saw against Sanhagen, he's not, well, not, I was about to say not stupid, but I think the better way to put it is smart. He's pretty smart in terms of strategy. Um, Corey Stanhagen does have a tendency to like pressure himself, but Sterling was going to walk, walk him to the fence through hell or high water. We could, we could see that with um, just how he came out. So where normally we kind of expected, I think, before the fight that Sanhagen would be playing the role that he played against Hafe Lusamsa, where he'd be pressuring from range and Sterling would be trying to play the back foot. But instead, Sterling flipped the script. He came out hot, pushed Sanhagen back. And um, the rest was history. So that's the thing about Alderman Sterling striking. I think his defense is a lot weaker than Peter. I guess we're flowing into the matchup here since that's about where we're, where we're headed. Um, I think his defense is a lot weaker than Peter Yan's. Uh, we saw against Peter Munoz, a lot of it was just ducking out of exchanges, and he took the front kick to the body regularly. Uh, I think that's that's why I wouldn't really favor him against Peter Munoz at five, which isn't a big indictment because Pedro Munoz, just from a physical standpoint, is just monstrous to deal with over five rounds. I don't think Frankie Edgar beat him over five rounds. Uh, Rivera probably would have finished over five rounds. So it's not really a huge deal, but it looked like a fight where his defensive liabilities uh, below the head, which are tougher to deal with when you're craftier than you are deep, uh, would have sunk him. So where this fight goes kind of depends on Aljamain's uh, strategic acumen, I think, because if Peter Yan gets going, uh, I think Yen's pressure footwork is significantly better than uh, Aljamain Sterling's outside footwork. Sterling, again, he's good at direction changes. He can walk guys onto counters. But Pedro Munoz did have a lot of success playing a pressure game in a broad sense where guys have had a lot less success outfighting Peter Yan, uh, especially as the fight goes on. Where Aljamain Sterling has a real opportunity is with Yan's slow start. Uh, Yan takes a second to read um, his opponent. Like, it's not really like a Cheeto Veras-style slow start where he looks bad for the first round. Uh, it's just he takes a little while to get his reads and even against Aldo, he nearly finished him in the first round. So it's really tough to say that he's just not a factor. 
but he's a lot more likely to concede the ring craft if Aljo comes out hot early, like first, second early, runs out, uh, threatens the wrestling and pushes him to the fence. So that's a route for Aljamain Sterling, especially considering, as we mentioned, Yen's tendency to, um, <laughs> it, is, it, is, it is the point to do it, but to turtle up and get up, which is something that Dan Tom mentioned, uh, we've seen that Yen is pretty scrambly and Aljamain Sterling can just get his hooks in and lock the position down uh, consistently. It's like, Yen isn't Corey Sanhagen in terms of how he approaches takedown defense. Sanhagen's a lot you know, looser and confident in the scrambling. But we have seen uh, Sanhagen deal with a good top player in Rafael Asuncao. Um, and Aljamain Sterling just kind of shut him down in a way Asuncao couldn't. Okay. Um, but <laughs> okay, you guys can't see the chat, so this is wild. But in terms of how it goes when it goes deeper, I think Peter Yen has a real shot of troubling him in the clinch. Um, I'm not that hard to, to break in this, but uh, I think Jens, as I mentioned, is risk control because we uh, Ed mentioned Al's uh, Aljamain Sterling's um, shot in the open isn't fantastic all the time. He against Corey Sanding was much more of a clinch, <laughs> a clinch wrestler, and um, Peter Yen's risk control on the inside, his ability to work with collar ties and frames is, I think, going to do a significant amount of trouble for uh, Aljamain Sterling getting to body locks. I think the fact that Yen tends to be the better, uh, better in terms of clinch entries and exits is going to cause uh, Aljamain Sterling some issues because if he enters with like a collar tie and wrist control, for instance, it's going to be pretty tough for Aljamain Sterling to just shock him with the body lock and drag him down. Um, so I think that initial advantage is going to be pretty tough for Aljamain Sterling to overcome. And then as the fight goes on, I think Yen's going to be able to read his defensive tendencies pretty easily, more easily than against uh, deeper pocket boxers like Jimmy Rivera because Rivera is, uh, he looked fantastic in that fight. He's generally a tough matchup for pressure boxers, uh, where Aljamain Sterling, I think he's a little bit more susceptible to that. So uh, at the risk of encouraging more penis jokes, uh, we can move on to whoever's next. If it's your first time watching a fight site prediction panel or listening to one, uh, the game within the game is trying to make everyone, each other laugh uh, in, in the Zoom chat while they're speaking and uh, I don't know, we don't do it all the time, but I'm sure I'm broke the format. So he deserved it. <laughs> that was the format. It was like, you go around and then you do the matchup after that. We was the last You were the last there was a person. That's true. Why I was enthusiastically egging him on. To go. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, you know, you're right. You're right. You were the last algebra person. So anyway, the matchup, let's talk about it. Uh, except for I'm here. He went, um, yeah, I, I, it's hard to uh, – what I do pretty much every fight, like every big fight where there's like someone I care about, is I talk myself into why they're going to win. Um, I did it with Dustin Poirier. I, I'm, I'm, I'm doing it with Jan right now. I, I do it all the time. So caveat that I'm biased and I'm, I'm purposefully seeking out why Jan is going to win and, and going along with that. Um, not that I don't like Aljo, I do. Um, but also Ben's been going really hard for him. So that makes me want him to lose now because, uh, you know, I, I hate Ben. So <laughs> uh, anyway, so the matchup, uh, whenever I think about striker versus pressure grappler, we've talked about this on multiple podcasts at this point. Uh, I think about Ringcraft. you know, what positions are they going to be in, in the cage? And despite Aljo's best grappling performances in my opinion his best wrestling performances in my opinion coming off of when he was actually a more deliberate pressure fighter he typically doesn't push the issue so if a, the other fighter says i am going to be the one that pressures in this matchup 
typically he's okay with that. Um, he's been the out fighter much more often than he's been the pressure fighter um, in, in most of his fights. So against the most defined pressure fighter, you know, besides maybe Munoz he's ever fought, I think he's going to end up on the back foot. And that really changes a lot here because, you know, maybe, maybe he intercepts and they end up in the clinch and he puts them on the cage and they end up in those, those favorable grappling positions. Although even then not as good of a shot at taking someone down or getting to their back than if you actually got in on the shot in transition. Um, so it's, it's still not the same, but uh, yeah, I, I already think that hurts Aljo's chances to not get him in those good positions, especially we can, you know, use your size to your advantage. Um, I think that size is going to be less and less of a factor as time goes on in the matchup, as, you know, the cardio uh, tables start to turn. Um, not that Aljo is going to gas necessarily, but any degree of fatigue is going to make a big difference against Peter Jan. Um, so the ring craft, I think, is a really important note right away. That Aljo is probably going to be put on the back foot. And he is pretty comfortable getting off on most of his offense, you know, not not taking the lead. Like the Munoz fight is probably the best example um, of, you know, <laughs> Sterling is throwing freaking everything um, while being pressured really hard. On the other hand, Jan isn't Pedro Munoz. Uh, and that's going to go both ways in, in, in this discussion of why Aljo, yeah, it might be good or bad for Jan is the differences between him and Munoz. But He's not Munoz in the sense that his head doesn't stay in the same place and <laughs> he doesn't just throw slow hooks uh, in, in the same spot all the time. Although I will say in his last fight against Jimmy Rivera, he started to actually look a little smarter with his defense. You know, it's, it's a little more built-in defense. He, he had like a pull check hook type of deal going on. <clears throat> so that's a tangent. <laughs> but yeah, Jan's defense is... is decent pretty good um and, he, and he's got a little bit of a counterpunching game and his transitional offense is very good like we said so you know if, if sterling's throwing a lot i do trust Jan to either smother him and, and start to get to the bicep ties and you know strike off the brakes and start to control the exchanges a little bit more i don't think it's going to get overwhelmed with volume i think actually volume is better for him as a counterpuncher as someone who's looking for openings if you i, I keep going back to these magomedov fights i know they're a long time ago and i know a lot can change but but it's it's weird. He's had matchups that don't totally show off his style and his ability in the UFC. Part of that being that they've been three rounders. Um, but yeah, in the Magomedov fights, uh, something that Magomedov did really well was just interrupting whatever Jan was about to start doing with just like single single straights. Uh, you know, just whenever he was walking in, just trying to tag him with those straights and, and disengaging and starting over the situation. Uh, and not trying to throw combinations with them and not trying to have these long drawn out exchanges. And when Yam was actually able to get him planted and not, you know, allow him to escape and reset the situations, that's where things got hairy. And I definitely rate Sterling more as a defensive fighter. And I really definitely rate Sterling more in terms of ring craft. I think I rate Sterling more everywhere and he's bigger and he's more athletic, but, you know, just looking at how Yan deals with the situations, what troubles him, uh, similar thing with the auto fight. Uh, a lot of it was, you know, Jan walking in, Aldo hitting a nice counter, like pulling him into the knees and then pushing off, hitting the angle and, and ending that situation. So I think extended exchanges typically favor Peter Jan, which is interesting. So is Aljo going to do the thing he typically does as a striker? Is he going to change his game plan and, and fight a lot differently than he has in the past based on the matchup? Same question for Jan. Is Jan's strike selection going to be any different? Is he going to 
take as many risks with regard to his offense. Um, something people point out a lot, which I think is fair to point out, is the overextension on his rear hand. Sometimes he'll step through it. Uh, he'll like break a stance or he'll like fall off too hard and he'll actually give up a pretty big angle right here, which is I think something Ben's probably going to talk about is, you know, when he o- overshoots like that um, and he, you know, gives gives up a deep underhook or something close to the clinch. And, you know, he has to really quick swim in his own underhook and, you know, make sure he doesn't give up the back. But that's kind of the thing, though, is despite Jan giving up positions sometimes and putting himself in less than ideal situations, um, he's just flat good (laughs) in in the clinch, flat good in a scramble, flat good as a wrestler, knows how to defend singles, knows how to scramble out of doubles, knows how to do everything. So it's not as big a deal for him in many ways to end up there. As Ben's saying, though, Aljo is a really bad person to give up a good grappling position to. So I'm totally seeing the possibility that with the way Jan is striking, he he does get taken down. He does give up a bad position. But I also see that Jan's, you know, very competent grappler, very scrappy, uh, you know, knows how to fight wrists, knows how to fight grips. And I don't see it being a situation like the Sandhagen fight where he's getting subbed early. So I think Sterling is going to have to have a consistent game plan where he's able to, you know, impose whatever he's going to be doing for five rounds. Uh, and that's a really, really tall order. So I think that's already something against him. I think this matchup is, is kind of uphill for Aljo. Not that he can't do it. It just is a lot working against him. Uh, some habits that I don't like, especially worse when you're being pressured and you're trying to do these things off the back foot. Uh, you know, like the double to diffuse pressure like he could do against Munoz. Not saying that's how he's going to be trying to take him down, but just based on Jan's volume and as things pick up, I think he will be level changing a lot more. And uh, it's not great <laughs> mechanically. Uh, it's a lot of bending over at the waist and reaching. And that's a pretty bad thing to do against someone who's so good with timing their knees up the middle or uppercuts up the middle or framing off and opening you up for a transitional offense off of that. So I, I have a hard time seeing him not getting pieced up a bit in those situations. I think he's actually pretty durable despite the knockout loss in the past. Um, he, you know, getting shinned in the dome by Marlon Moraes in round one is a lot different than getting hit by Peter Jan. I think there's a huge power and speed differential there. Uh, but yeah, I, I think it's going to be a really, really ugly fight <laughs> regardless. Um, you know, it, there's definitely the possibility that Aljo puts himself in a bad position, excuse me, early on and gets knocked out. There's also the possibility that Jan gives up a bad position early gets submitted or put in a really bad spot, but you know, over five rounds, who does the fight favor? Favor favors Jan. Uh, who's going to have a harder time getting to the place they want the fight to be? Probably Aljo. Um, so I, I think those are things just work against him. So it's not like I think Jan's just better. Um, I just think the way the matchup works is going to be pretty good for Jan. And I think that uh, cage size, something Dan Tom always talks about. There's also something to consider here. This is going to be Big Cage, right? I think Big Cage. What? No, Small yeah, Cage? If it's in Vegas, small it's cage, Small Apex. Cage. Small Cage? Yep. All right, yeah. well, that, that could be something that works in, in Aljo's favor. It could also be something that works against him because he's being pressured uh, and put on the cage. So uh, I, I can definitely see both paths to victory here. I'm just thinking in my head what's more likely, you know, who, who's more likely to survive the other's good situations. Uh, I think it's Jan and something that isn't really a good thing to do when making picks is letting other people influence you. But 
I'm letting other people influence me. A lot of people have, uh, people that I, that I like and respect are, are also picking Jan, and I, I'm just going to trust what they're seeing and, and go ahead with that pick as well. All right. Um, so uh, first off, uh, there's a lot of obviously great analysis that was. Thank uh, you so much. Made. Not by you. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, first off, I'm writing an article specifically about the clinch. So keep an eye out for that. That's pretty much ready to go. It's whenever it's ready to whenever it's edited with uh, it's ready to go, I think. Uh, so please keep an eye out for that. It's going to it's I, I really think it's a it's a great piece. Uh, specifically of this matchup and and it, it kind of comes down to um how things how peter yan approaches this fight is going to be a big part of how this fight goes if peter yan as i mentioned he's as he's more willing to kind of allow his opponent to kind of dictate where the fight takes place somewhat or at least in, in in sections if he allows alja to come forward i think that's a really bad tactical mistake to a uh, strategic mistake uh not tactical strategic uh, error to make um, we've seen Aljo being allowed to come forward. He actually is in a much better spot when he does that because he's able to get his kicks and punches off in a way that keep him safer because he's at the distance that he wants to. He's all the way out and he's able to move forward. So he's in charge of that range. Um, he's going to be forced Jan back to the cage where he does not want to be. That's the first thing I want to make clear. Um, so I do think that we're going to, and I think Jan's aware of that. I think he knows he's going to have a much better time pressuring. I think he's going to probably have paid a lot of attention to that Munoz fight and try and take as much of his, uh, as he can from it. So I think we're going to see Jan coming forward. So that changes the dynamic of the fight because if Aljo is able to go forward, I really see that, that the, the balance tips in his favor heavily for me. Uh, so Jan is going to come forward. Then it comes down to how Jan approaches the actual engagements, uh, engaging in these exchanges. Is he going to kick? because he's gotten his kick caught before uh, multiple times. Uh, he leaves, Like I said, he leaves them out there a little bit too long sometimes. If he takes away his own kicks, he's conceding a, an entire range to a rangier fighter who likes to kick a lot. That's number one. Second question for, for, for Jan. Is he aware of just how often he puts himself into these dangerous scrambler situations with his punching mechanics? So is he going to kind of like and, and it's intentional in a lot of ways because again he's reaching for the for those collar ties so that he can get into the clinch, uh, um, uh, so so he can put himself in those positions to get takedowns of his own because he actually has a really good sneaky takedown game. Uh, for example, in the Jimmy Rivera fight when he actually missed on a hook, he actually tried to wrap his leg around jimmy uh on the right side and fall into a uh, kind of like an outside trip sing, uh, double leg takedown uh the problem is is that jimmy is a walking fucking tank and you can't actually move him so that didn't work also he kind of pivoted out and he was ready to go into the clinch but that's you know so is he going to take those things away from his game and kind of pare it down so that he kind of be just striking with aljo because i think if he does make those decisions he's going to have a really hard time with finding Aljo because even though his footwork is much better, it's pressure footwork, and he's obviously a much more technically proficient and, and deep striker, when you're kind of pairing away a lot of the things that make you successful as a striker, it can give you some hesitancy. It gives your opponent a lot more leeway to do the things they want to do. So I'm very curious how Jan's going to approach this. That's the first thing. If we just see how Jan usually approaches fights, he's not going to change things up. He's going to do what's brought, he's going to do the things that brought him to the dance. He's going to do the things that won him the title. That's when I think those individual exchanges are really, really going to be interesting. If 
Jan's coming forward. He's doing the things. He's going to be throwing those same kind of strikes, which get him into trouble or at least open up his back to be taken. That's what I want to see. I want to see how if Aljo can take advantage of those situations. I do think he can, and I think that's what I, what's going to make it interesting. With regard to Corey Sandhagen specifically, I think that a big problem I have is that people underrate his grappling. This dude completely shut down Rafael Sunsau with almost seemingly with ease in their few grappling exchanges that they did have. He completely shut him down, and it was very technical and it was very very good uh, uh, positional awareness on his part and. Uh, awareness of when he was in danger aljo was this that it, he's just that fucking good that's how impressive it was because sandhagen my biggest issue coming into that fight was like man i'm really not sure if aljo's gonna be able to i i i was like okay he might get to those positions but can he submit Corey and can he go the, no he easily took him out and that's so impressive because of how good sandhagen is uh so even though jan is a proficient grappler i'm not sure he's that much better than Sandhagen as a grappler. Um, he has different issues uh, in terms of how he approaches grappling uh, than Sandhagen does, but I think I don't think he's that much better than Sandhagen. So Jan's going to probably, uh, unless Jan can just completely strand uh, Aljo into a mid-range boxing match, I, I do think we're going to see those positions happen. I do think that Aljo's going to find those openings to either get to the back or shoot a reactive double leg because, again, Jan puts himself in those bad spots pretty often, I think, for, for how his striking style is built, for how his game is built. Um, if he's not – and again, he'll also engage in takedown attempts and clinch because, again, it's built into his striking. It's built into how he, how he approaches fights. Even when it behooves him to just continue striking, he will consistently put himself into those grappling or clinch situations. Um it's hard for me to make a call because I really do see this as a coin flip fight. If Aljo can get those positions consistently, take the back and work work on on, on choke attempts and and uh, control, it's a really interesting fight. I am curious about the pace because Jan is one of the best pace fighters in the sport, and Aljo, we've seen him slow down earlier in his career. I do think that people feel that he would probably have lost maybe the fourth or fifth round against Munoz had that fight continued. And it's an understandable feeling. He was taking a lot of a tread of damage. I don't think it was him gazzing. I think he just was getting his legs were beat up, you know? So I can absolutely see this going multiple ways. Jan by a, just a flash KO wouldn't shock anybody. I think um, it would be a little surprising, but it wouldn't shock me. Jan just beating him down over time and getting out of some bad spots. Totally reasonable take. Uh, Aljo being able to control him pretty cleanly. I don't think people would be too surprised. Again, he is that fucking good. I think people would be shocked if it happened a little bit, kind of like they were shocked how Gagey was really not very good at grappling when Khabib took him down. They were surprised. So uh, I just don't, I think people are overlooking Aljo because like I said, when you see someone grow up in the UFC, you kind of never let go of their flaws. So I'm really, really looking forward to this fight. I, I, I'm going to pick Aljo because of how hard I'm the only person going on this on the site. Uh, the only other person with me is Tommy. And if that's my backup, I actually feel pretty secure because remember when I said I would look through the uh, win percentage of people calling fights? Yeah, Tommy was number one. <laughs> Saram, I have your win percentage if you still want it. <laughs> But yeah, Aljo, um, I'm going to go with Aljo via submission late round one, early round two, just he gets those positions and he 
doesn't let Jan go. Jan tries to scramble out of it because he gets a little bit uh, panicky and gets caught with the rear naked. Late round one, early round two is super key. Um, you make me feel better that Tommy's on on, on your side, Ben, because uh, I like Tommy. He's smart. And I, too, like you guys, uh, believe in practicing the make-believe martial art, which makes sense because, like, if I, you know, got two black belts in make-believe martial arts and the third one I'm going for is jujitsu, so it just makes sense. I got to keep it consistent, right? Only, only the woo-woo martial arts that don't work because we all know grappling is dead. Um, that being said, kind of like how we started this this discussion off, or Ben did with that note, um, I still will fall down the same trail as Ben uh, here, actually. Um, I liked Aljo kind of from the onset, uh, and I'm not, I'm not, alo- I'm not alone because that plus money kind of shrank that he opened up as, and I totally get him being a slight dog to Peter Yan. I'm not somebody poking as many holes in Peter Yan's resume, however – um, stylistic matchups do matter. And in the panel we did uh, for the four lightweights, it ended up being a big discussion on like, or one of the big takeaways is that pressure grapplers or, you know, can be a, um, a hard matchup to deal with. Obviously the more pronounced pressure fighter is Jan, uh, although the pronounced more pronounced grappler, obviously Sterling. So it's not apples for oranges here. Don't take me too literally. Uh, however, I do believe that what our come away from that panel or that theory, the common crossover is that regardless of where you stand on that spectrum, is that somebody trying to push a grappling game on you, uh, I find a harder, I find it harder to pick against them when that match is taking place in the small cage. That's why I picked Aljo against Sanhagen. That happened in the Apex. That's why I'm going to pick Aljo against Jan. Also, because even though they are different, um, they do both turtle and tripod. Uh, Jan, much more technically sound, much more layers to his scrambles. He'll swim his arms as well. He's really smart in how he does that as far as shucking hooks and getting under hooks and getting around. Really good stuff. Um, if he's able to survive and or get those things off, he also provides little pockets where I, I could actually see him hurting him, uh, Algerman Sterling in close at, going in and out of the clench more than if he's even able to get a range game for sustained periods against Sterling. Uh, I like early round one or early late round one, early round two is because I believe that if Jan does survive with those tactics and whether or not he's able to hurt Aljo with those tactics, he can pull away with a better gas tank and his attritional work with legs, legs in the body. That's where you got to hit Aljo. It's really hard to find Aljo's head. Um, however, kicks, it's funny. One of you guys noted that like Jan has is slow to retract his kicks. Again, I'm not going to go too hard on the striking. I gotta, I'm still gotta catch up and rewatch Jan's UFC fights, at least select ones. But uh, right now, I'm on Jan Magomedov too. And the interesting thing is, I'm going to look at that straight shot note that Ed mentioned, is because in my boxing notes, as far as Aljamain's boxing improvements, one of his biggest boxing improvements is he smartly added a check jab. I don't know if that's the official word for it, but it's something that more fighters need to do. Um, it's the same kind of, you know, it's not so much of a bring you back on balance, like a check hook, but hence the word check, it provides a safety check coming out of exchanges. So it never hurts to, hence why you hear, oh, educated striker, stereotypical commentary, right? He finishes his combinations with his lead hand. Um, usually it's the left because usually it's an orthodox fighter. So I really like that. And if that note is true, what Ed said, that is something to watch out for. But ultimately, I think the saving grace will be countering kicks because I just watched a couple times because I kept getting interrupted the first round 
of Magomedov, Jan too. And it looks like Jan doesn't want to throw kicks because he got countered so many times. Like in the first fight, like he came out, he's like, okay, I'm going to try to try my best to stick with boxing. And of course, as soon as he throws a kick, you could tell like what he did. And it looked like he really tried to like, as, as soon as it hit the body, you see Jan really try to retract it and stamp his foot back down on the ground. And of course, Magomedov follows it down for a single and he's able to get a wrestling exchange off of it. I think he eventually clubs him and gets him down. Um, but the point was, it looked like Jan was, and I know that fight, even that fight, the rematch is, is a while ago now. But it looked like Jan was specifically trying not to give the guy a catch counter kick counter, and he still gave it to him. Um, so I, those things kind of trouble me. If the, if I if I go on and watch watch tape and, and see that Jan is still doing that, um, so for that reason, I am gonna probably pick officially uh, reserve my right to change. But but probably I'm probably honestly gonna pick uh, Algerman Sterling to get it done within the first two rounds. Again, with the caveat, if he doesn't, Jan's probably going to pull away with body work and leg work down the stretch because he has a better gas tank. He, Aljo cuts, excuse me, um, a ton of weight. Uh, but also, I'm, I'm going to be a little bit biased too because Aljo's not going to have Longo in his corner. Maybe Sarah or not Sarah, one of those two. But it, he's actually going to have Eric Nixick, my guy from Extreme Couture, who's been doing really well, all my bias aside. The guys are really good cornermen, so I like that for Aljo as well. Nice. Nice. Yeah, Ben. Ben's really happy that you're also picking Aljo, so he's not the only one. But on the other hand, it's like he doesn't get to share the glory if it does work out as much now that other people are picking him. So, you know, really, it's a bad thing. Um, it's worth it. It's honestly yeah. worth it. Also, <laughs> yeah, the entire fight site's picking against me. So yeah, that's true. I like I like being split on, on our picks. I think that's always helpful. Uh, we always get a lot of flack when we're like close to being unified on something. And it's like, we decided these things independently, Dan, this just doesn't mean anything. Um, I do want to raise if I'm right. Uh, sure. <laughs> uh, we, we talked about, uh, Dan Tom just talked about the attritional body and legwork. Uh, not ruling out the possibility that uh, Jan hits him with a calf kick that just like ruins his leg really early on because those things are unpredictable. And sometimes, uh, yeah, things, things go bad the situations um but yeah we're gonna we're gonna pivot quickly to uh israel adesanya versus uh john john blahovitz for the light heavyweight title and we're actually gonna start with dan tom because he's on the schedule so what do you yeah. got to say dan i was gonna bow out of this one but there was one note that i wanted to mention maybe it'll kick you guys off and i actually do have to bow anyway so hey what do you know uh, I, I don't want to steal the hosting thunder or the setup thunder um i'll just add some quick notes obviously i don't disagree with izzy the favorite it's probably going to be hard for me to pick against them, even though uh, I'll, I'll be rooting for Jan because that's just what I do. Um, I will say this, though. I know that I'm sure you guys will talk about all the deficiencies and pros and cons. Um, I will just say some things to look out for is that uh, Jan has a really good left hook and a lead kick. Um, he would make it really obvious and switch to southpaw, and you just knew the body kick was coming, as was – that MMA meta, you know, uh, you know, that's why everyone was bedazzled by Dillashaw or, or Cruz before him is because everybody would just switch to southpaw and throw a body kick. But Jan actually is really good off his lead side. And when I interviewed him, I asked him that specifically. And he said he's actually he he feels much stronger uh, off of that side. Uh, you could even argue that he perhaps is one of those rare like I'm a right handed southpaw. I feel like it's super rare to have left handed orthodox, but maybe not because most gyms will force you to fight that way. Um, and I only bring that up is because whether it's kickboxing or MMA, 
a lot of the best things that have landed on Israel Adesanya have been that side, obviously the left hook from Alex Pajeda. Um, the head kick, which was like the same style head kick that uh, Robert Whitaker did but couldn't do against him. Uh, but sure enough, Kelvin Gastelum hits Adesanya with it, right? That was from the left side. Now, common threads with both of those was that Israel was in a southpaw stance when all those happened, uh, which caused me to suspect in a lot of my breakdowns on Israel is that if somebody chooses to blitz him when he's in a southpaw stance, that's how you can get him because his defense, there's a big difference there. Um, however, as soon as I say that, like I was, it was, I was preaching that before the Whitaker fight and, and that Whitaker fight. And since then you see him when he takes the Southpaw stance, just kind of sh shifting harder offline and staying away from anything coming back at him uh, and doing it in a much smart, smarter way than like Luke Rockhold, where Luke Rockhold would just kind of move his trunk offline. And then he would bring him, his head right back into the same punching zone, which is how that left hook from Michael Bisping lit him the F up. Uh, and obviously, uh, if I, my dumbass can distract that or, or deconstruct that, obviously Jan can because Jan knew exactly what to throw on Luke Rockhold as far as, oh, a guy susceptible to the side I throw strongest from. And he was going for that and rocked Rockhold multiple times. Um, another tall guy, again, obviously the craft, is Adesanya not comparable? Not just in that one move, but overall, obviously. Not apples for apples, but I just did want to, before I leave, kick you guys off with that food for thought. Not saying it should change your thoughts uh, or picks or sway you toward the underdog here, but uh, I just wanted to, 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 to leave a pathway for the Polish power, guys. I appreciate it. Are you hanging out or just or you're, you're actually leaving? Yeah, I do got to actually bounce right. it. That's cool. That's to be cool. abrupt and, you know, Thank you so much for, show, for but... joining us, and, and we love you. Uh, like the video the and subscribe. Hey, like the video you, and subscribe, subscribe, guys. I know I'm not the fight side guy, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do the uh, corporate work for you guys. Seriously, like this video, subscribe to their channel, guys. Thanks, Enjoy man. the rest of the show. Have a, good, have a good night, Dan. See you later. All right, cool. So that, that those were very good notes that I think we needed because <laughs> I, I don't have a lot to say about this um in fact i mean let's let's this is very professional let's call it right now we what just want to do briefly talk about both guys and do matchup per turn and not do separate turns for both guys yeah sounds good to me i don't think i should I don't, say yeah, uh, I don't, yeah. okay all right um i'll go first well, <laughs> yeah i would say something yeah just i had nothing to say uh <laughs> so israel adesanya obviously uh one of the best strikers in the ufc if not the best right now uh, a lot of strengths, uh, you know, good strike selection, you know, his use of feints and, and, you know, you know, both hip and, and shoulder and his specific strikes and level changing and his, his ability to counter off the back foot and his kicking game and his ring craft and his clinch game. I think he's got a lot going for him. Uh, he's also fairly durable, um, you know, great cardio, very fit, uh, stronger than he looks, uh, as well and super confident. So, uh, we, we've seen him win in a variety of ways, not like different types of finishes necessarily, but just, you know, different kinds of fights that, he, that he's won. Um, we've also seen him in some weird fights where he might have looked more vulnerable than people expected. Um, the one that people harped on for a while was the Kelvin Gastelum fight where he had a couple of moments where he didn't do so well. Um, and Kelvin had a lot more success than he think he would, would have, you know, just given that it was a striking based matchup. Um but then you had a, you know, a matchup that based on that one against Robert Whitaker, you're like, okay, well, Kelvin Gaslam had a lot of success leading against Izzy. So Robert Whitaker, who's much better on the lead and, you know, all you know, 
more explosive and more diverse and yada yada, he should do well, right? But I think maybe something about the extension of the exchanges and uh, you know not really having as much of a threat of the wrestling and just you know the way that Whitaker approached it uh, and maybe the less of a, a level of faking dynamic made it really so Izzy didn't have to worry about the same things and could focus more on his back foot counters, which is what he was trying to do when Kelvin gave him that trouble. Um, so I, th- I think there are some factors there that aren't being considered. And let's be honest, the trouble that Kelvin gave, gave him ended up being pretty minimal. And uh, that fight quickly descended into an ass kicking. And, uh, you know, arguably Kelvin was finished by the end of it. Um, so it's uh, maybe a bit overblown. Uh, then you have the Yoel Romero fight, which... I'm never going to watch it again. <laughs> Let's be honest. If you want like a really high level d- dissection of that fight, a, a very brave na- man by the name of Dan Albert actually broke it down and turned it into this whole thing about like, why, why is Yoel Romero? Why does he do this? Um, and how does he do this? And how does he keep getting away with it? Um, so that's a very good article, but that, that fight kind of showed you what happens when there's a counter threat, there's a wrestling threat, there's like a power threat. And the person doesn't really react to your feints so much. So it's harder for you to set up reliably the shots that you want to throw. Um, that's kind of the point, right? You faint and they, they react a certain way. I'm like, okay, now my jab's there. Like, oh, okay, I can, I can do these things to create the opening to start my combinations the way I want to. And the, a few times when he did lead, he did get countered pretty early on and big, you know, pretty big counters. So that kind of scared him off. And Yoel Romero tricked him into not fighting for about three rounds. Uh, which uh, worked out very well in his favor. Now, Jan Blachowicz is someone who could replicate the not fighting for three rounds part. Uh, We've seen him in some pretty terrible fights before, Um, but he's someone that I think, uh, you know, feels more pressure to lead, feels more pressure to to commit to to striking and throw. Um, But, you know, he's, he's fairly competent. He has a kicking game, which is something that, like Ryan Wagner has pointed out that, that might be kind of a weakness in the armor of, of the city kickboxing guys is uh, maybe the way that they're like, you know, settling into their stances to try to set things up and, and do their work uh, and the way they, they retreat on the back foot, it kind of opens them up to kicking it and maybe round kicking is, is something that could be a problem for them. Uh, I think it has to be off of offense. I don't think Jan Blahovich is going to be able to just naked kick Izzy. I think he's going to have to create some sort of threat with his hands to open up his defensive reactions and exploit that with his kicks. Um, and Jan's hands, while he has these big counter punches that he's landed, um, those are counter punches and they've come off of like the clinch breaks and they've come off of people leading pretty poorly on him and like running in with their hips and like, you know, really exposing themselves and just things that Israel Adesanya doesn't do. So when you look at the successes that, that Jan has had, I'm not necessarily sure that, those same openings are there. So I think it would require Jan to come into this fight looking a lot different than he has in the past, or at least using his tools in a different way. Um, I mean, he can jab, he, his, his defense is pretty good in a static sense. Like he can, you know, if you're just trying to try to kick him naked, um, he can deal with that pretty well. You saw that in the Rockhold fight, you saw him in the Reyes fight. Uh, he can be pretty stingy, uh, which is helpful. Uh, but you also saw like, He's not the most disciplined fighter and things can get pretty hairy sometimes and pretty messy. And um, the Tiago Santos fight is a pretty big indictment of uh, the way he'll, he'll, you know, break sometimes. And those habits weren't gone in the Reyes fights. 
he did pretty similar stuff that he did in the Santos fight in the Reyes fight. So I don't think he's changing a ton um, with regard to like the grappling and wrestling threat. Um, if they did end up in grappling situations, I think that Jan could do pretty well, but he's not really the type to enforce a wrestling game plan on someone. He's not really a leg attacker. And as I said earlier, Izzy's very good in the clinch. So I have a hard time finding paths to victory for Jan. And I think uh, it, it requires a bit of imagination to come up with his game plan. And that's just, that's too, too far of a reach uh, to make, to really make a pick based on that. So I'm going to, I'm going to pick uh, Israel Adesanya to uh, open up as the fight goes on and win a, a fairly wide decision. Uh, but I, I think it could be a little bit ugly and, and, and tight early on just because of Jan's stinginess and maybe he'll, uh, he'll be more hesitant and maybe there'll be a little bit, of competition with a kicking game, but I, I think things will open up for Izzy um, after the second round, probably. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think uh, I agree with everything you said about Izzy. I mean, there's really not a ton to say, surprisingly, just because he's so diverse and does different things in like most of the exchanges. So you're just like, he's very good at a lot of things. Um, Jan Blachowicz is more flawed, so it's kind of more interesting to talk about in a sense, just because you could be like, oh, he doesn't do this thing well, which means that there are these openings where Adesanya just uh, faints super well, um, creates openings really, really well. He uh, was one of the better kickers in the sport. We saw that against Paulo Costa, partly. I mean, Costa's kind of tough just because he has no kicking defense, and like Johnny Hendricks kicked him up, but also Adesanya kind of kicked his ass. So that's one thing. Um, very good positionally. Uh, that's one thing that we saw against Robert Whitaker, uh, who blitzed in and uh, Adesanya compromised his positioning instantly by breaking the line of attack. And I think that's one way that uh, Jan Blachowicz is really going to struggle because uh, Blachowicz has a jab. He has a counter left hook. And past that, everything that he throws, uh, if he tries to throw in combination, there are these really big um, blitzing combinations that uh, got him killed against Tiago Santos. Uh, he breaks stance. There were, against Tiago Santos, he wasn't even breaking stance well. He was dragging one of his feet behind him. Uh, which was, it was disgusting to see. It looked like he broke his ankle or like his foot fell asleep. So that's not encouraging because Adesanya isn't going to, even he isn't gonna, even going to do what Santos did. Or Santos is kind of backed up and clobbered him with a big hook, left hook, right hook, something like that. Adesanya is going to step off to the side and uh, crack Jan as he's turning. So that's one way in which I think Adesanya can pretty easily manufacture a finish. Um, for Jan... I mean, punching into kicks has worked against Izzy several times. Gastelum did it. Uh, Whitaker actually had a decent head kick in the second round, I believe. Um, and, you know, you, you mentioned, uh, Ryan mentioned that kicks are a city kickboxing weakness defensively. Uh, it's one thing that I'd, I'd like to see a little bit more from Whitaker just because of Adesanya's uh, reliance, not reliance, but Adesanya's use of that big lean back where, you know, if guys blitz at him, he uh, does like the matrix thing that makes everyone super impressed, but isn't actually particularly. Uh, sound in a lot of instances and punching into mid middle kicks is one thing that Jan Blachowicz does relatively consistently. He did it a lot against uh, Dominic Reyes and that's how he finished the leader Latifi in his UFC debut. So something that has always been part of his game. So that's one thing that I'd like to see, but I also don't think Jan gets those blitzes for free. Uh, in terms of how Adesanya does in the lead, I think he gets a pretty easy job of it against uh, Jimmy Manuel. Um, Blachowicz was on a, a hair trigger on the counter. This is the rematch. No one even remembers the first fight. So the rematch. Um, he was really, really uh, keyed in on that counter left hook and tried to flow into combinations off that, but also he bit on it really, really hard. Uh, so that's one thing that I think uh, Adesanya can take advantage of, just drawing that out with his feints, 
uh, hitting the body, kicking the legs. Uh, Blahovic isn't like super easy to kick, but also he hasn't faced a super crafty kicker. Mostly guys just try to blast through the open side the way uh, Luke Rockhold and Dominic Reyes do. So it's a tough fight. It's a really tough fight for Jan Blahovic. Like maybe the size advantage and his kicking game come together to like make it a little bit uncomfortable for Adesanya. But if Adesanya does the things that we've seen him do before, I don't think it's particularly difficult. Uh, yeah, so uh, <clears throat> I, I think something that needs to be kind of talked about also is that um, Izzy for middleweight is is a pretty plus athlete. He's obviously not a Yo Romero, but he, he's a damn fine athlete. And he's extremely fast. He's rather strong. Uh, his proprioception and his reaction times are, are, are insane. And Jan Blahovic, even for a light heavyweight, is uh, not any of that. In fact, his entire... Uh, gimmick is that he's a light heavyweight who tries to be good and the problem is is that when you're good for a light heavyweight and you're facing someone who's going to a be really goddamn good just as a general statement in mma and is also going to have a significant athletic advantage over you won't be at a tremendous size disadvantage in terms of height length and reach um Jan will probably have the strength advantage, but I also don't really see him being able to utilize it too well. Um, unfortunately, he just doesn't really have the best wrestling entries. Uh, he's actually pretty solid in the clinch. Uh, he has some really good punches off the break, which we saw him murder former middleweight champion Luke Rockhold with. Uh, and he, he, he's, I think he's a rather, uh, I think he's rather intelligent uh, as a fighter. Um, he does tend to come in with decent ideas of what he needs to do. Um, but the problem is he's also still a light heavyweight, right? Like he's still fighting guys who are not necessarily going to be able to challenge him in ways that are going to put him in bad spots that he would have to work out of. And the, the, the middleweights that he's fought coming up, like he's kind of like the old middleweight killer, right? Jacare and Luke Rockhold and stuff like that. Uh, it, it, it's it, people are gonna be like, well, he fought middleweights and those middleweights were good middleweights. So you can't say that he doesn't know what he's doing. Like, obviously, but again, when you're fighting guys who are in the tail end of their career and they're just physically shot, it's not really going to tell us all that much. You have Luke Rockhold who was trying to wrestle for the first time in his life, apparently. And all that time at AKA, you never learned how to wrestle apparently. So, uh, and he actually, we actually did see him regress. He used to be actually be a bit more of an adept clinch fighter, but, Whatever. That's not the point. Uh, clinch wrestler, but that's not the point here. Um, Jan likes to kind of just do these long, uh, long range outfighting techniques where he's going to be, you know, using a pretty decent jab. Um, like you said, he has that pretty solid kicking game and it's very effective. He's, he's, he's quite good at, uh, at utilizing those two techniques. However, when you're getting, you're, you're in a, in a fight with Tiago Santos, not that long ago. It's not like it's been, it's five, six years ago. It was only like two, three years ago that he was getting outfought from the outside by Tiago Santos and got so frustrated that he decided to do a blitzing shifting combination that had him deaded on impact. It's not a good look and he could still be kind of brought out of position with feints. And when he feels a bit more frustrated, he could still kind of do those marching forward, shifting combinations that got him in trouble over there. Um, I don't think the grappling will come into play too much. And even if it does, Izzy, when he has been in those situations, shows that while he's obviously not an elite grappler, he knows to do the right things to um, 
to get himself free of those situations. He does a really good job of fighting for grips, uh, digging for underhooks. He constantly is framing against, um, he constantly is framing um, to create space and, and get back up, whether against the cage or in open space, if he needed to be, he would do, I imagine do the same thing. Uh, so I'm really not seeing how much Jan can do here. He's durable, but he's been rocked. He's been knocked out. Um, it's, he's not unhurtable and Izzy's going to have such a tremendous, uh, speed advantage that I really am not sure if Jan's going to be able to play that super patient game, unless he's just content with not getting knocked out. We saw him with Jacare. He's content to just do fucking nothing for 25 minutes, but I don't know if he's gonna be able to play that game with Izzy because I feel like he's going to be fainted into doing something bad or dumb or put himself out of position and Izzy's really good at building on his reads. We know that. So I actually think that Izzy's going to knock him out probably like maybe third round, fourth round. Um, it might be earlier, but I wouldn't bank on it. Jan is tough. He is patient for the most part. Uh, he might just sit on the outside and just try and wait it out, but eventually he's going to come in and Izzy's going to draw him in and just kill him on these counters, I think. Um, if he can't knock him out, I think it'd be just a wide decision. Not expecting it to be an especially exciting fight either. So, yeah, uh, Izzy by third or fourth round KO. So we're unanimous on the Izzy pick, uh, which means that Jan's gonna win, which is uh, That'd be interesting. Thrilled. That'd be great. Yeah, interesting. Uh, <laughs> really, I really want that to happen. I, I want Izzy to win because this sport needs to make sense in some fashion. It has to. Something has to make sense in this dumb sport but also fuck it would be funny if Izzy just gets wrecked on the feet I want the swear words all, all podcasts you know, it's a family show not really but anyway kids are asleep so so those are the men's That's title fights we're not going to do any breakdowns on anything else let me get some rapid fire opinions uh, Nunez Anderson who you got no explanation just names Okay, fine. Uh, Nunez, fine. Sadly, Nunez. I love you, Megan. Uh, Hachev, Dober. Uh, I feel really bad, but I, I kind of have to pick Islam here. Screw it, Dober. <laughs> nice. <laughs> uh, Santos, Rockage. Uh, I don't. Santos beat Anthony Smith better in a cooler fight. And that's like all I really care about. So um, Santos via silliness, I guess. Rockets. Cruz Kenny. That's a good one. Yeah, I like that one. That one's actually kind of worth talking about. Um, I like a lot of what Kenny does on the feet against Cruz, uh, the kicking game and the counter punching, uh, the, pretty committed pressure that he did against Haile uh, Alatang. But I think the takedowns are going to be a problem and the cardio is probably going to be a problem and Cruz didn't look compromised, uh, as compromised against Cejudo as I thought. Cejudo just fought a really good fight. So I'm going to go with Cruz very tentatively based on, you know, to just be completely fucked at this point. Physically. Cruz, fuck you, Casey Kenny. Wow. Wow. Seems like this is kind of personal. Um, yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna don't go talk with, uh, shit about Megan. That was bullshit. You're a piece of shit. 
I'm going to go with Cruz for the same reason as Shriram with, with, with regard to the wrestling matchup. Um, just because Kenny did get taken down a decent amount of times by Marab and Ray Borg. So I'm just going to go ahead and say that that's oh, yeah. a factor. Oh, yeah, I thought he won the Marab fight anyway, but Cruz yeah. was better on top. Yeah, in terms of the actual fight itself, like you can't have shit takedown defense against someone like Dominic Cruz. I don't just, know you literally that can't. I'll go that far, but yeah, it's Yo, yeah, it's, it's not we good. did beat both of the guys who took for, him down a lot, so that's for a one thirty five or yeah, but for one thirty five or you can't have takedown defense like that. It's just not you're not gonna be able to, to continue to, to, to win at the elite level. He's a scrambly so. flyweight at one thirty five, basically. I mean I, I, I like it. It's fun. Yeah, he's a cool fighter. Uh, Joe Benavidez versus Askar Askarov. <sighs> I mean, I want Joe to win, definitely, because I like Joe a lot, and also I want Davy Fig to look good. And this win probably makes the second Joe Davy Fig fight look less predatory and awful. Um, I'm going to go with Joe because I think Joe's a pretty bad matchup for a top control grappler. Uh, like, even if he's declined, he, like, he was definitely declined against Fig in the second fight, but he's still out of light, but an inch away from putting him out. So, uh, yeah, let's go. Um, yeah, this is a match Joe would win in his prime, or even like slightly post prime. But I can't, I can't. I, I, his durability is not there anymore compared like to what it used to be. He's clearly lost the step in terms of his athletic ability. Askarov is tough, excellent uh, grappling solid wrestling nothing amazing but he should be able to drag it to the ground and also he's decently heavy-handed he really badly hurt tim elliott multiple times even declined tim elliott's still tough as nails and he was hurting him so i'm gonna go to askarov i'm gonna go joe b just because i uh i'm not convinced of his shotness yet i think i need to see him be shot one more time <laughs> just to be fully convinced of it so i'm just gonna yeah, I mean, Fig's the best ever, so it's tough to say. Yeah, yeah, I think you know when you're when you're a bit of a husk, it's you know way more exacerbated when you're fighting uh, the best athlete in your division. So I, I just seen a little more evidence of his shotness. I've jumped the gun on someone being shot before, uh, or like Aldo. on how shot someone is before. Aldo's still shot, just you know, jump the gun on how. No, I'm saying like <laughs> I thought he was getting knocked out by Marais. Yeah, me too. Um, and I was also As thinking, it turned out, Marais was also shot. I was thinking of RDA <laughs> when I said that, but Aldo's a good example too. But yeah, RDA I thought was like incapable of winning fights anymore. Um, he's actually like not not as washed as, as previously predicted. Also less pronounced at lightweight than welterweight. That's the thing that Kiesa would look a lot better also in hindsight. This makes no sense to me that fighters who are clearly declining physically and like stopped cutting weight and like didn't have amazing durability they go back down and wait and I'm like, okay, this is clearly a terrible idea. It's going to affect your durability and you're not going to be even as good as you were at the higher weight class. And then it's fine. Like Cowboy's done it. Uh, Frankie Edgar's done it. But to be fair, Frankie Edgar's kind of always been capable of being a bantamweight, but like Aldo cutting to bantamweight, like what, RDA going back down to lightweight. Like why does this work? Uh, I don't understand it, but we're not, that's not the situation we have here. Just deal on the subject of, of shotness. Um, I mean, it's just the guys that we really pay attention to and want to win, they tend to be good enough that they're able to win at that yeah. point. And also, like, the opponents. Mariah's yeah, pretty much done. Matchups definitely matter. Uh, Yan fucked him up, so, like, doesn't really count. But also, uh, Felder was on, like, three days' notice. So. Right. Right. So, that's a card. I think that card's pretty deep. There are other fights I like that it. I find interesting. 
uh, that we didn't even talk about and uh, listen to the MMA podcast probably on Thursday of this week. Um, and we're going to have a bit of insider intel. Uh, Jared McLaughlin's going to come on. He's a fighter training out of New Zealand, and I think he's uh, been to City Kickboxing a few times. He's also trained at Jackson Wink, and we've talked about Josh Fabia before, and he has a really good story about that that he said on my podcast <laughs> you know, in, in the early days. But, uh, yeah, it should be a good one. And, uh, Ben, when, when's the next grappling podcast, man? Uh, I think we wanted to schedule for sometime this week. So, do you have a guest coming on? Not this time. Uh, we do have some potential guests that not potential guests. We definitely have some guests that we're planning to line up. I'm not going to spoil anything, but uh, we wanted to finish our discussion over on the guard. Uh, so we're actually going to be talking about the uh, uh, building, which guard is the one you should start with. Um, and I think it's going to be a really great episode. If you haven't checked out the first one, please go check it out. It's about, you know, go check it out. It's, it's, it's honestly was one of the most fun things I've done for the site. So really, really enjoyed it. Dope. Sounds good. All right. And uh, Dan Tom can be found at Dan Tom MMA on Twitter. And most of his work is on MMA Junkie. But if you follow him on Twitter, you'll see that he's got a lot more going on. And he's just a very busy, hardworking guy. And he's brilliant, and he deserves more and more love. Even though he's got that check mark, you think we'd get more respect on here. But uh, yeah, so check out Dan Tom. And uh, yeah, that's it. Say goodbye. Bye. Bye, everyone. <laughs>